Welcome to this edition of the Safeguard Your Soul podcast. Sure to be life-changing by the Word and Holy Spirit of God, Safeguard Your Soul is a Christ-centered storehouse containing scripture-rich resources to feed and equip Christ's saints in this late hour. This ministry is solely supported by individual disciples who desire to see God's Word spread to many in this late hour. We pray you will be blessed by the Word of God in this message. Here's Todd. Colossians chapter 2 is a very important chapter, the truth of it being that there are many false teachers, as the scripture tells us, verbatim and many times, and they're teaching false doctrines that are leading people away from the pure, unadulterated worship of the Lord. As you know, the first commandment and its first for reason out of divine priority, we call that the law of first mention. The Bible says the first commandment to the Jews was what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, if you have even a slight cursory knowledge of the Old and the New Testament, you know that one of the sins that absolutely infuriates God is idolatry, because He's holy, 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 and He deserves our pure worship of Him supremely above all else and all others. Idolatry is its spiritual adultery, where we alienate the affections of our heart onto someone else other than God. Just like if you're a man and you're married, or you have a girlfriend that you're engaged to, whatever, and you're always looking at other women, how do you think that makes her feel? You see, you you have an adulterous eyes full of adultery, according to Second Peter chapter 2, and that can be cured through repentance and getting before the Lord. But, you know, how do you think that makes her feel? How do you think it makes God feel when we're looking to other things, even using biblical things that are not the weightier matters of the law, Matthew 23, and overemphasizing them, as Jesus cited the Pharisees for doing. You know, he said, you should strain it a gnat and swallow a camel. You you overemphasize the minor things in the economy of God and you underemphasize and undercut the things that are very important to God. And that's what we see today in the modern church. You know, the holiness of God is almost never spoken of. And when it is, sometimes it's not according to the word of God, according to his definition of holiness. We need to let God speak for himself by studying to show ourselves approved unto God, studying his word, going only by his word, knowing the word of God, because that defines the mind of Christ. It is the counsel of his heart, according to Psalm 33:11. Now, Paul is dealing here in, and this is dealt with throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, about how, notice in verse 18 and 19, which I'd say is some of the most, two most important verses in the whole Bible. Let no man beguile you, Paul writes, of your reward and a voluntary humility. We'll go over that in a minute. And worshiping of angels. See, a lot of people overemphasize angels. Oh, this angel appeared to me. Well, you got a red flag right there when they start having angels talk to them and everything else. No, God has spoken to us in this last day by his son. Hebrews chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2. Okay, so let no man beguile you of your reward or rob you of it, your reward of eternal life in Christ, in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. 
and not holding the head, not holding the head. I want you to underline that in your Bible and highlight it. Not holding the K, capital H-E-A-D, the head, Christ. See, all of these teachings that draw you away from Christ and don't uphold Jesus Christ as the supreme God, the creator and the only redeemer and all the other myriad of eternal divine attributes that are Jesus Christ. We have so much to study of Christ himself that it would take us the rest of our lives to do. And yet most pastors won't even touch the the topic of all the Bible, the central topic of all the Bible, and that would be Jesus Christ. He's our exceeding great reward, according to Genesis 15, 1. Amen. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who was and who is and who is to come, even Jesus Christ, that who is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, so many other things. Our Christology, where is it? Where is our Christology? Well, if you need a little jump start on that, feel free to go to Safeguard guardyoursoul.com and click on the category on the right they listed Christology and begin to build your Christology learn of him even Jesus Christ that's why we're here that we might know him the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent John 17 3 it's all about Jesus he is the sacred substance of all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation he is the theme of all of scripture the central theme you're missing Christ in your Bible study, you're not being led by the Spirit, my friend. And not holding the head. All these teachings that come our way, there's many, all kinds of wind, beguiling winds of doctrine that blow through the church world. There's no new thing under the sun. There's always the same old repackaged, recycled lies of Satan coming through men who call themselves pastors and evangelists, etc. And uh, we've got to know the Word of God so we can rightly divide the Word of truth and not be led astray by the wicked, the false teachers, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3 17, it says we're to be steadfast and not be led astray with the error of the wicked. He's specifically talking about, quote, false prophets and false teachers in that chapter. So they don't hold the head, not holding the head. Christ is not elevated from which all, and here's how we know when Christ isn't being elevated. First of all, by judging the doctrine as we've been speaking for the last moment or two. And then also, here you go, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. You see, nourishment, and that's an exact word listed or mentioned, used here, nourishment ministered. See, nourishment from God, divine nourishment, only comes when Christ is upheld. Amen? When he's being upheld in my life and in your life, when we are choosing to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and setting our affection on him, which it says just a few verses later here in third chapter, and putting all else aside for the supreme and overpowering love of Christ, you know, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, Ephesians 3, I believe it's verse 19. It's all about who we love, and the affections of our heart are set. The Bible says, the Lord looketh on the heart. And so we've got to be careful that the things we're learning in, in our whole religious experience, if you will, in the modern church, or however we practice that, it ought to be daily fellowship with the indigenous, organic body of Christ, actually, like the New Testament believers, the earliest believers. But how However, we've got to examine whether or not the teachings and the emphasis and the things that we're being taught or by ourselves or led astray by somebody else is all really bringing us to a place of worshiping God out of our hearts with our affection set on Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Amen. The one who is to come. Hallelujah. Revelation 1.8. He's coming back. And he's coming back for people that are looking for him. There's going to be a whole lot of folks that are busy about their religion, their Christian religion, if you will, 
that are not going to be ready when he comes because they're not looking for him. They don't love him. They're not being taught by their own heart through the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God to hold Jesus up as the head, the holding, not holding. See, this error that he's pointing out here is that through these false teachings, they're not upholding Jesus Christ, the head. He's everything to the true believer. Okay, now the word, the Greek word for holding, where it says not holding the head, the Greek word for holding seems to indicate that that means obtaining or retaining or seizing upon. You see, they're not seizing upon Christ. Christ is not the all in all of their experience of worship, if you will, their whole body of their religious experience. It's not Jesus Christ. We've got to look at that, friend. We've got to look real close at that. You see, when the head is not upheld, nourishment does not flow to the body, and that's the fruit of not upholding Christ as the head. And that's why you can see people walking out of their church buildings so-called, with a frown on their face. They're not magnifying Christ. He's not their all in all. It's just a form of godliness. Almost every local church in America fits that description. It's not about magnifying Christ. It's about church attendance, tithing. It's about being a good church member. It's about going to the little small groups and reading some other book outside the The Bible. It's an absolute attack on God. He gave us 66 glorious books. None of us have even one of them mastered. And we're sending people to go get not only extra biblical books, but books by false prophets and false leaders like Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, and all these other clowns. Unbelievable. If you're attending a church that is leading you outside anywhere outside of the 66 to uphold Christ, whose essential theme of all 66 books of this glorious canon of scripture, then you are sitting under a false prophet. I don't care what kind of degree he has. It has nothing to do with it, how nice he is or how successful he has been, if you will, quote unquote, in the eyes of mere men. I think you should recognize, and if you're going to repent and really come to the Lord, you will, that this man is false. He is absolutely false. He has led you astray. Let's read. Let's continue to read. Now, in verse 18 and 19, I want you to really, really look at those and then also look at the whole passage here, which we won't be able to cover at this point. Now, in verse 16, leading up to this, he's talking about people judging others in meat, drink, or in respect of a holy day or Sabbath days. Those, And then he says those were a mere shadow. People are all involved in that kind of stuff, and they're not holding upholding Christ as the supreme center and object of the worship. Therefore, you got idolatry. God says his name is jealous, Exodus 34, 14. He will not tolerate idolatry. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says the covetous man, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath, the eternal judgment of God on the children of disobedience. And then be ye not therefore partakers with them. Ephesians 5, verse 5 through 7. Now, if you want to argue with the Lord, go ahead. I'm not going to join you. People always, you know, when people go, you mean to tell me if I'm committing sin, I sin tonight. And I had a guy do that to me recently. And then I die tomorrow, I'm going to hell. And he mentioned the sin, and it's on the list of soul damning sins. So I said, well, that's what the Bible says. I said, now let me ask you something. Here you are saying that you're covered by the grace of God. And if you sin, you know, I said, let's examine that a little bit closer. Here you are. You got the evening open, you know, 
don't have anything planned. You have all the wherewithal and potential to seek God, to read his word, to go have coffee with a brother or sister, to cook dinner for some Christian brother and have them hang out with you, if you will, get into word a little bit, have a word of prayer before you leave or whatever. But, you know, no, you choose to, you deliberately choose to go out and uh, start drinking and then you're led into some other sins and all that. And yet that's okay. You're just dismissing that and shucking off your personal responsibility for that. And God, that's supposed to be covered by the grace of God. You're kidding me. You chose to deliberately rebel against the Lord. And now you're going to expect to go to God's holy, holy, holy heaven. That's a fool's hope. That's ridiculous. That's a lie from hell. Okay. Verse 20. Wherefore, you see the guy in that scenario, I just got finished talking about, he could have been upholding Christ. I know sometimes there's struggles in life. I didn't say that the flesh doesn't fight back. The Bible says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's why you've got to learn the crucified life, the daily cross. We've got to get engaged in learning the daily cross. Get on safeguardyoursoul.com and look up the discipleship category. And you might want to get a copy of I Die Daily and uh, Raised Up. And it really brings out this biblical truth. And learn how to set yourself aside, to cry out to God that he must increase and you must decrease. And learn to walk in the spirit through the crucified life. Okay, verse 20. Where Christ, by the way, is upheld. He's magnified truly in your life and in your heart and through your life. Because when death works in you, crucified life, then the life of Christ is going to work through you into the life of others. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12 tells us. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12. Okay, verse 20, Colossians 2. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, from the thinking of the world, the principles of the world, why, he says, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Why? Touch not, taste not, handle not. That has nothing to do with the saving grace of God. He's rebuking him for that. Let your heart be established with grace, not with meat or non-essentials. Hebrews 13, 9 tells us. That's a good verse to memorize. Let your heart be established with grace. Amen. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the use after the commandments and doctrines of men. In other words, these things are non-essential, like some of the things he mentioned earlier. What meat you eat, what drink you drink, what day you go to church, you know, a holy day or Sabbath you observe. That has nothing to do with your salvation. And if you're emphasizing those or allowing yourself to be led into by false teachers and movements, led into overemphasizing those things, those are the commandments and doctrines of men. They'll damn your soul. And those have swept you away from truly having a walk in the spirit. Jesus said, they that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. When you're really right with God, everything's about the Lord. You're magnifying Jesus. You're not talking about the Sabbath day or that the fact that you don't do this sin and you don't eat that. And No, you're talking about Jesus. You're full of him and it can't be missed in your life. People that don't have joy in their life, that really, really concerns me. I tell you, because the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit or the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and that happens when you what? You hold Jesus Jesus up as the head. You seize upon him. You seek his face. You set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. He is your all in all. He is your everything. When you have your eyes upon him truly, love, joy, and peace, along with the other six fruit or evidences of the Holy Spirit, are going to fill your life. You're going to have joy. You're going to have love. You're going to have peace. You're not going to be this religious prude that walks around and can't even crack a smile. That's a big old red flag right there. That's a modern day Pharisee right there. Okay, verse 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship or self-imposed worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh, 
If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, who's that promise to? Those that have their affections set upon things above. Upon who? Upon Christ, who is our life. When your heart affections are set upon him, when he appears, you will appear in glory with him. Otherwise, you won't. Hebrews 9, 28 tells us that Jesus is coming for those who are looking for him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Does that really need an explanation? Not at all. It's self-interpretive. Are you looking for Jesus? Is your heart engaged in the worship of the Lord? Are your affections set on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you just want more of Christ, the Lord Jesus? If not, you can. You can repent and turn to him and get rid of all these things. Lay the axe to the root. All these religious things that are crowding Christ right out of your life. Being sold to you by the marketers and the, the false pastors, the apostate modern church. Okay? Now, you'll also notice that in this passage, in the end of Colossians 2, that legalism like this stuff here, overemphasizing minors, doesn't restrain fleshly lust, but it just strengthens it. And it strengthens the sins of self-righteousness and pride to where people think they're more holy. They're holier than thou, as Isaiah put it, because they do this and they don't do that. Well, my first question to them is, when's the last time you got somebody saved? Who cares to hear that you don't do this sin and don't do that sin? Are you uh, fruitful for the Lord, like Jesus talked about in John 15? Fruit's very important to the Lord. And these people believe that their good works and their own, their do-gooders, as some would call them, that their own works are saving them. They're not magnifying Christ. They're magnifying their own supposed track record, which God knows a lot better than us. And he busted through that in Matthew 23, where he destroyed a thin veneer that those false Pharisees of his day hid behind. And there's a parallel. Pharisees of all errors are the same. They have the same basic tendency and goals and focus of washing the outer of the cup and not the inner. The inner is full of filth and God sees it. And they strain at gnats and swallow a camel. They don't keep the weightier matters of the law as Jesus put it. He told them in Matthew 23, these devils, he said you're a bunch of hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. In other words, you tithe all the way down to your table condiments, but yet you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. The word of God, which is judgment or love and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. In Luke, his version of this, he says one of them was love. In Luke eleven forty two. You know, there are priorities in God's kingdom. And what we're reading about in Colossians 2 is a priority we see throughout Scripture. And that holding, upholding Jesus as the head is the most important thing of our worship. In the book of Hebrews, would be a good one to, to go through it. Contrast the infinitely inferior nature of the shadows of the old covenant that's completely obsolete as far as righteousness goes. And the supreme, infinitely supreme nature of the new covenant because it's been radical by the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who reigns at the right hand of the Father make an intercession for us and through whom every blessing and every benefit of God comes through him. Amen. It's all about Jesus, friend. He must increase. We must decrease. I love what the Greeks said when they came seeking for Jesus. They said, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Friend, that needs to be the heart cry of every one of us. And it sure is of every one of true small flock or remnant of God's elect that Jesus is getting ready to return for. That's keeping their garments without spot or wrinkle or any 
such thing, but they're holding without blemish in light of his soon return like the wise virgins, Matthew 25, 1-13, Ephesians 5, 25-27. Okay, now here in this passage in, in Colossians, the end of Colossians 2, here Paul is condemning leaders who lead others in self-imposed commitments that are not commanded or honored by God. These produce pride and bondage. They pass, though, as being very spiritual to the undiscerning person that doesn't get in the Word and learn what's important to God themselves. All of these outward things that God didn't say, didn't even mention in a lot of cases. Today, people emphasize. It seems that when people overemphasize the external instead of the weightier matters of the law, the Word of God, and the heart of men, then you got to start imposing all these external measures on everybody else and make everybody else suffer because you have a problem in your heart that needs to be overcome. You see, they know not what they say, nor whereof they affirm, as Paul wrote. I believe that's in 1 Timothy 1. So self-imposed worship, self-imposed worship. They lead, these false teachers he's dealing with here, they lead others in self-imposed commitment, will worship. That These are things they added to the Word of God, like the Pharisees were doing when Jesus cited them and rebuked them in 23rd chapter Matthew, that are not mentioned in the Bible as sins that defile the man. There are many lists of sins in the Bible. There's 17 in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. God forbid that any sane, born-again disciple wants to add to that list. I certainly don't. Do you? Okay, let me close by reading partial list of 21 characteristics of hypocrites taken from a study Bible right out of Matthew 23. And he's got all the verses as far as the numbers next to him. I won't read those, but I will read starting in number 14 of the 21. Let me read the all the way to 21, like seven or eight of them. He says, characteristics of Pharisees are, here's some of them, they're zealous to win men to their sect, S-E-C-T, their religious order of some kind, you know, Pentecostal holiness or assembly of God or whatever it might be, Baptist, but not to God. They win them to join them, become a member of the church of a certain denomination instead of rejoicing that Christ bled, that they could be a member of the universal one body of Christ. Okay, the next one, number 15, they root and ground converts in hypocrisy, not in Christ. 16, they profess to be the only guide in religion. They act like it, but are blind to truth and practical Christianity. Number 17, they propagate those parts of religion from which they receive the most personal gain and honor. He gives the verses. Number 18, on this guy's list of characteristics of Pharisees. Number 18, they strain at gnats and swallow a camel. In other words, they stress minor details and omit the fundamental of true Christianity. Number 19, they glory in bodily cleanses, but live in moral filth. Number 20, they exhibit outward religion and self-righteousness and ignore inward holiness in life and conduct. That's key. Let me read it again. They exhibit outward religion and self-righteousness and ignore inward holiness in life and conduct. Number 21, and finally, they pretend to be more righteous than their forefathers and, I would add, of others. See, and that's what all these religious measures do. They're there to catapult men 
try to elevate them above other people. Like, I'm fulfilling this and you need to also. In other words, trying to get people submitted to them and under their domination, which the scriptures speak much about, which we spoke about in our book, Deceivers and False Prophets. And we have two or three chapters in that book called The Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That is quite a revelation. Many of you, like myself, probably have experienced dominating uh, pastors and stuff that brought great harm and wound to your life. Well, that those three chapters in that book, Deceivers and False Prophets, that we have, the truth of that has really, really made a lot of people free that have been affected by false leadership that dominated them somewhere in their past. And as we close, friend, remember, God looks on the heart. God, the Lord, look at on the heart. First Samuel 16, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, not body, but heart. Now, of course, if you're pure in heart, it's going to manifest in your body for holy living. Amen. We're to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Paul wrote, Romans 12, 1. Also, Paul taught us that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if we defile our body, God will destroy us. It all starts in the heart. When it's true Christianity, it all is initiated by God in the heart and obeyed by the individual who has a relationship with the Lord in spirit and in truth. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, the Bible says, to show himself strong on the behalf of who? Of those whose heart, whose heart is perfect toward him. And those whose heart is perfect toward him are magnifying Christ. He is their all in all. They're upholding Jesus Christ, setting their affection on things above, not on the things of the earth on a daily basis as they look for the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you, friend, and feel free to visit safeguardyoursoul.com. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.